If you are taking notes, um, I've titled the message Beautiful Brokenness. And I think when God gave me that title, it was just open your hearts before God moves in power and revival, open your heart to meet him today. Um, from a very young age, I think it's not something new in many black people. Actually, I, would, I dreamt a lot. Um, God pursued me in dreams. Um, I would see the supernatural, so to speak, in dreams. But one night, I was in 2006, while pregnant with my now 17-year-old. I was sleeping and I was so aware that I'm dreaming, I could sense and see my bedroom as is, but so aware that I am dreaming. And while questioning what is happening in the natural and in the spiritual, I felt this being in my room. And I couldn't stop because of his presence, his holiness, but to say, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. And I just started worshiping and repeating those lines. And I'm no near being a singer. My husband is one. But I worshiped, worshiped him that morning or night. And I said, I love you, Lord Jesus, because my experience and my encounter with him was so real that day. And I knew it was time. I knew it was time to give my life to the Lord. I had been running away from God. And the minute I accepted in my heart, just worshiping him, the softest hand touched me. I've never felt such a soft hand. Yet I know soft hands because I've got four daughters. And all I could say, Father, forgive them, for I don't, for they don't know what they do. Do not ask me. He still hasn't explained why I said that. But I know I was in a broken place because I was pregnant with a second child out of wedlock. The man who had engaged or proposed and went to my family had left me with that child and he went to marry someone else. So I was in a place of brokenness, but God could come and meet me right there because my heart was crushed was soft to receive who he is to me and not what I wanted him to be. And I found a friend and I said to her, it's time. She was saved. We used to go out and party in clubs. She used to stay in our flat and read her Bible. And I said, it's time. I know it's time. And I went to that church and I met Jesus at Santon City Church. Today it's called Upper Room. And I gave my life to the Lord. And my life was turned the right way or right side up. Although I've told you the story, I'm not saying 
everyone has to meet the Lord or experience the Lord that the way that I did. This is my journey, but I have faith that the Lord wants to encounter you today. Even if you're not in a broken place like me, but you are at a place where you want to say, Lord, there's more. There's more for us as a church. There's more for me as an individual. There's more for the suburb of Comsmo City. There's more for the city of Joburg. There's more for this province. There's more for this country. And God is saying, oh yes, there's more. There's more. And the heart of God from the beginning was not for us to be in that broken place that the enemy has come and stole what God had for us and destroyed and wanted to kill our future. The heart of God, even before we were physically on this earth, was to give us identity and a place of honor. And I want to repeat that. The Lord, from the beginning of time, wanted his heart was to give us his identity and his honor or the place of honor. And how do I know that? Because in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, it reads as follows. I know many people still use the phone Bible. Even my husband was asking, Hi, Kandauna. You can see I'm very much a paper person. So my Bible is paper, but punch your iPhone, Samsung, turn the pages to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And it reads as follows. Then God said, I'm reading from ESV version, let us make men in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make men, both female and male, in our image, immediately or initially, from the beginning, God's heart was for you to be his image bearer. God's heart was for you to carry his identity and have dominion. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. God gave you his honor. He breathed. He spoke life. He blessed you. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on this earth. 
Can you see that God wanted you to have his identity and honor, but even his blessing of living in a revival mode? Are you hearing me, Masaluan? Living in a revival mode because he said, take dominion and multiply. And God is reminding us today, us included, that his heart is for you to live in abundance. And I wish I could say abundance is the murk and the mention. Abundance is his presence, his identity, his honor. And now in the New Testament, I feel the abundance is Jesus himself. That is our abundance. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom. And all of these things will be added. When God is asking, asking us through the word that Len brought, how are you living? Are you living in fear? Are you living with, with, with hate? Or do you have power and sound mind that God today wants to partner with you in what he wants to do in Cosmos City? It is clear to me that we were created with his identity and the highest value was bestowed upon us before we were knitted in our mother's womb. So we cannot be confused and think that our identity is in our parents. I will repeat that. We cannot be confused and think that our identity, our value, our honor, our future, our fruitfulness is in our parents. It's in God himself. Because he created you from the beginning. He blessed you and he prophesied and he declared exactly what you're supposed to do. This was not in the plan, but we listen to the Holy Spirit. For those who are seeking their fathers, God is saying to you, dear, look to him. Your identity is in him. He, your honor is in him. Your future is in him. What you were created for is in him. Because he created you from the beginning. Of course, the enemy, he always comes and disturbs what God wants to do. And we see that in Genesis 3. I won't go into it. From verse 1 to 11, go and study it. And our sister Eve got distracted. Friends, Glenn asked, are you fearful? What are you hearing? Which voice are you hearing, basically? Are you hearing the voice of God? Are you hearing your own voice? Or are you hearing the voice of the enemy? Don't get distracted. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the enemy came to um, disturb the presence that was with Eve and Adam. And he lied to them. He brought doubt. He brought shame. 
he lied to them, he brought doubt, and he brought shame. Timothy, the, the scripture that Lynn read, he has given you not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Even the lie he gave you, the doubt to say, even God, can I come to this meeting? Will I get something? Well, yes, the Holy Spirit is always speaking. He's speaking to you right now. Be listening, lean in and hear what he's saying to you for the season in this community. Don't look at the lies of the enemy. Don't look at the doubt he's bringing and the distraction and the shame he's trying to bring you. God has given you his identity and a place of honor in heaven and here on earth. Friends, God's heart is still for us to experience him. It's not a once-off thing. I've told you my first encounter with Jesus, but it didn't stop there. Even for you, whatever encounter you've heard with Jesus before, God wants to experience you and him fellowshipping on a daily basis. I'm reminded of the scripture that says, when you receive us, me and my father will come and dwell in you. He's within us. You can talk to him while you're washing dishes. You can talk to him while you're changing your child, while you're driving your car. You can experience God. We call to have an intimate daily relationships. Some encounters are normal. They're not the supernatural like I experienced. They're normal. In the mundane of life, in the monotonous of life, the encounters are just normal. Because it doesn't have to be, no, he's within you. You talk to him. I've got a story that I thought the Lord give us that he wants us to discuss today. And we are going to see how God man, um, encountered these ladies in the mundane of their lives, in the monotonous of their lives, in the normal of their lives. Can we turn to Esther 2, verse 8 to 9, and then Esther 4, verse 16 to 17. Amen, I'm going to read. Esther 2, verse 8 and 9 reads as follows. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in the custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food 
and with seven chosen young women. Underline. Well, you don't have to underline. I underline my Bible. Seven chosen young women. If you are an NIV person, it reads seven hand-picked maid servants from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in harem. Now, go to Esther 4, verse 16 to 17. And it reads as follows. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I, I and my young women, so those seven hand-picked ladies, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. For those that have studied the book of Esther, you know that the book doesn't mention God. It doesn't say Jesus. It doesn't say maybe Jehovah. It doesn't say God. It just speaks the name of the people that are involved, the characters that are involved in the story. So just a way of background, Esther was adopted by his cousin Mordecai. She was an orphan, and Mordecai took her under her wing, and probably we can assume, although the story doesn't tell us, that he taught her the Jewish law. So he taught her the scriptures of that time. Sorry. Then the chosen king... Who, she was chosen by the king, King Xerxes, who was very evil. He didn't know God. For him to be choosing another wife, it's because his first wife refused to parade up before his drunken friends and they were having a party. And, and King, his advisor says, you better look for another wife. Because if you don't, all these women in the city of Zusa or in the state of Zusa won't be able to respect us. And he followed that. They found Esther and other ladies. But when they found Esther, Haggai, the eunuch that was trusted with these virgins, these young ladies that were chosen for the king, looked at Esther and the favor of God. The identity of God was on Esther. The honor that was bestowed on Esther was clear to Haggai. The value she was to God. Haggai, the eunuch could pick it up. The Bible doesn't tell us how, but he knew that this one has to be given the best of the best. How many of you are orphans that your parents are still not alive? But God, the father to the fatherless, the one who adopts, the one who teaches, the one who brings us in in his kingdom will give you favor, will give you identity, will give you honor, will give you blessing. And he will give you the best place in the kingdom of God. 
like Haggai did and gave Esther the place in the harem. And then he looked, Haggai, I can picture him. Obviously, someone who's going to be a queen needs her assistance. And she looked, and I love the word handpicked more than chosen. And he said, you, I'm handpicking you. You, I'm handpicking you. You, I'm handpicking you. You, Hadem, I'm handpicking you. I know him, Gumtimko. He handpicked seven women. Out of many made servants, maybe the Bible doesn't tell us. And he said, serve this potential queen. There are ladies here and gentlemen that you probably thought, really, should I come to this revival week? They don't even know my name. The names of the people were not mentioned here, the seven ladies. I come in here on a Sunday, I sit at the back. I live straight after the last a prayer or whatever prophetic word, and I leave. I'm nameless. I'm faceless. But God is reminding you. He handpicked you wherever you are. Whether you were in your home at the time you met him, whether you were at varsity, whether you were in the streets, wherever you are, he handpicked you and said, come and serve within my kingdom. You are not here by mistake today and part of this community of Cosmos City Church. He handpicked you as much as he handpicked Tabiso and Didi to lead the team as they lead you. You are handpicked. He wants that revived in your heart. That first encounter you had with him was not the last. He wants to have a daily encounter with you. They might not know your name. They might not even recognize your face when you meet at the mall. But God does. His favor is sitting upon you. And you know what those ladies did? We read, we read in Esther 4. If we look at Esther for now, and the background is, she has been chosen, she has been prepared by these ladies, maybe what we will call today beauticians. So they have prepared her with the cosmetics. They've probably even taught her how to be modest in the palace, how to dress, how to eat. Remember, she was an orphan. That should tell you that discipleship is not for the ones that are in the front line, but discipleship and mentorship is for everyone, and God has just at least one for you. Yeah. These ladies were nameless. They were faceless. Only the eunuch knew them. He didn't even bother to mention their names, but they were preparing the queen. Yeah. Could it be? that you are generationally building 
for those that will come after you, even if you are nameless and faceless, but are you willing to lock arms with the living God and say, I know my position. I'm of a blessed person. I'm of an honored person. My identity is in Christ. He qualifies me and I will disciple in this church just one person. I'm not angry. My husband normally says smiles. Keep it down. If I'm shouting, forgive me. I'm just allowed. They normally say, Glenn, my tribe, the women especially, are the loudest. So forgive me. But these ladies in Esther 4, it tells us that they were involved in what was going to be a deliverance, a freeing, and a revival for the, Jews nation, for the Jewish nation. Because they, Haman had a plan to kill them all. And guess where was the answer? Esther, the nameless, and the faceless ladies. So basically it was in community. The answer was within the community. The answer was not with Esther. The answer is not with Tabiso only and his eldership team. But the answer is within the hand-picked people of Cosmo City Church. For this community for this suburb, for this city, for this province, for this world, the world changes that are supposed to bring deliverance in this evil world and point the way. The answer is lying within you. And these seven ladies, we told, they went and with the eunuch, that belonged to Esther at that time, and they ran, and they said, Mordecai, because he was wearing a sackcloth, which was a cloth of grief, which was a cloth that tells us he was in pain, he was mourning, because Haman had conquered this deal to kill all the Jewish nation. Imagine if all Christians in the world were going to be wiped out. And they go, and Mordecai says, hey, Reminder who she is. Maybe she was called for such a time as this. Maybe she was the one that was chosen to deliver us from the death of the enemy, from the snares of the enemy. Could you be, have been chosen to deliver the people that are dying of drugs in Cosmos City, that are in debt, that are bitter, that are divorced? Just because you are here, in the sanctuary where the presence of God is here every Sunday, it doesn't mean be comfortable. We are not of this world. We are not supposed to be comfortable in this world. Discomfort is part of who we are because we are the citizens of heaven. So we can't sit comfortably. And Mordecai had to remind Esther that. And they ran back and they told her, and she said, the verses we read, okay, let's go back to the father. 
I got distracted. I forgot Matthew 6, verse 33. I forgot that I shouldn't be fearful. I've been given a power, the word of the power and sun mind and love for the people of God. Let's go back to him. Join me. Let's fast. Let's pray for three days. If I die, I will die. I will approach the king. Friends, we buried one of our friends' father. The memorial service, it was facilitated or led by Glenn. She's part of our home group. It was beautiful. He's dead here, but he's alive. So we shouldn't be scared of death. Paul says dying for us is gain. So we shouldn't be afraid to approach what is godly, to put our hands up for what is godly, to disagree with families, with friends, for what is godly. Because even if they reject us, it's gain for us. It's gain for us. And now they were the key and they stopped it. We know the end of the story. But there was a shift because we live in seasons. Maybe you're in the background. You were picked and you were nameless and you were faceless. But in the season of revival, where God is reminding you about revival as Cosmos City, he wants you in the front lines. He wants you to lock arms with this eldership team and say, let's go forward. Let's fight the schemes of the devil. We are here with you. He's our God. I'm the eye. Someone else is the head. Someone else is the feet. Don't look to the Esthers of this church. Every person is called. Are you going to put your hand up for the revival that is coming? Because I have faith for it. To show that God is doing something. At Cornerstone, our elders felt this year is the year of revival. So clearly God is doing something. Are you going to be in the front lines in this season? Are you going to be part of the people that will be used by God to make sure that people are delivered? Are you going to get your hands dirty? Are you going to be plugged in this community and be counted as women and men of prayer, women and men that are rooted in the word, that worship, not just singing, lifestyle, choices, decisions we're making, opening your homes for small groups. I felt God says, it's time to get your hands dirty. I even put an exclamation mark. And sometimes we meet Jesus as individuals. I was praying and trusting that you probably have invited someone who doesn't know Jesus. But even if there's not, in our brokenness that we experienced in our past lives before we met Jesus, and maybe we're still carrying those labels, God wants to remind us about this lady in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And I'm looking at my time, and it reads as follows. 
One of the Pharisees had asked him to eat with him, that is Jesus. He went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of a city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her eyes and wiped wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender has two debtors, one owed for 400 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will he love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he can collect it, he can canceled the larger debt, and he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet, has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, he has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgive sins, and said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Just as a way of background, those days, rabbis would invite people to their house at the table of fellowship. And the culture of the Jewish nation was, when you come, they anoint your head, they give water, or oil to wash your hands, they clean your, your, your feet because you wore sandals, and they give you a welcoming kiss to say, feel at home, take off your shoes. And you would sit in this table of honor or this table of fellowship, but the second-hand citizens, those that were poor, uninvited, they would come and sit against the walls. And they won't even interact with whichever esteemed guest was invited as they unpacked the word. But this lady, who knew something had to change, something had to happen in her life, revival had to happen, things needed to shift. She maneuvered herself from sitting against the wall, from being a second-hand citizen, and went to Jesus' feet. And she did everything that Simon, the rabbi, the Pharisee, was supposed to do. Jewish women at that time were not allowed to show their hair. But she took her crown. In those years, 
a woman's hair was her crown. She took her crown and wiped the feet of Jesus. If I can take my braids and wipe the feet of Jesus. What crowns are you carrying today? She spoke of you could be in ministry for so many years and you do things out of momentum or even out of you know this is how it's done. Have you taken your crown and put it at the feet of Jesus? Are you putting on a mask instead of maneuvering every day in whatever distraction, in whatever wall is in front of you, no matter who says what, and you bring your expensive worship in the presence of God. That alabaster ointment, that flask, that ointment, that perfume, that fragrance is worth your year's um, income. Are you at that place where you want to say, God, I want you to move. I don't care who says what. I want to be part of what you are doing in Cosmo. I will lay all my crowns, my qualifications. I will lay my money. I will lay my labels at your feet. And I'll be in your presence and let you take care of what is in me. And be raw. As women, we know what raw means. Especially when you're going to give birth. It's messy. But there's a rawness when you don't care who's with you. All you can do is cry. Because the pain of what you are carrying, you need a relief. And only God can relieve you. So that you can experience him. And have an encounter with him. Be raw with Jesus this week. As you meet, come as you are. Offer expensive worship. Put all your crowns at his feet. And don't look what the other person is doing. As I close, I'm left with two minutes. I just want to remind you. We don't need an invite to be at the feet of Jesus. She was not invited. We don't need permission to interrupt Jesus. His door is open 24-7. We can be raw. She does, we don't need a filter for the young ones. A selfie and you filter off Instagram. Jesus says, come with your tears. They belong to me. Instead, he says in Psalm 56 verse 8, I've collected your tears in my bottle. There will be a time when they overflow and your enemies will be scattered. Jesus is not afraid of touching. And he says, as you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he will lift you up when the time is right. As you humble yourself in his mighty hand, he will lift you up when the time is right. And I'm not one for material. When for me, he says he will lift you up when the time is right. Jesus brings what I call biblical justice. 
He's so generous. The justice of this world, if the father of your children is not paying maintenance, if your husband wants to divorce, the justice will say 50%, 50%. How many children do you have? Pay 1,000. But Jesus, biblical justice, he generously takes his hand and lifts you from a place of shame and puts you in a place of honor. And he pays the price. So as you come, raw, unfiltered, as you lock arms as a community, as you say, although I'm faceless and I'm nameless, I'm coming to you. I'm putting my crowns as I am. He will give you biblical justice and he will generously lift you up from a place of shame or label and put you in a place of honor. And friends, as I conclude, I did submit it to Tabiso. I sense this prophetically for the church. Jesus must love you if he's going to wake me up at three. Just to give me um, Psalm 23, verse 5. It says, you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And this is what I felt the Lord said. As you yield and surrender your heart to what God has for you as an individual, as you yield and surrender your hearts as a church together in unity, God will prepare a table before your enemies. And enemies, it's not that neighbor. It's not that colleague that you want to give a TKO. No. Enemies is whatever the enemy has lied to you about. Whether he has labeled you as a divorcee. Whether he's labeled you with depression. Whether he's labeled you with anxiety. Whether he's labeled you, you will never amount to anything. Whether he's labeled you and given you bitterness, anger, impatience, whatever. Those are the enemies. Now picture this table, a long table, with all the type of foods you've never eaten and those you've eaten. And all these enemies that have counted are sitting around here. And when they try to crop up, Jesus is the food that was crucified, is the lamb that was sacrificed as depression is coming up. Jesus says, sit down, I have laid a table. For you as an individual and as a church and community, in unity, God, I promise you, friends, we will hear testimonies of how much God has laid the table. And can I remind you that whatever we receive is always for the other person. We are not an inward people as the, as the people of God. We, our gospel is outward. John 4, the Samaritan woman, she gave her life to the Lord and immediately went to the very same city, this very same village, the very same community that was outcasting her, that she had to go and fetch water on her own and said, come and meet someone who told me the truth. When God lays that table, God said, it's not for you. It's for the community. 
It's for North Riding. It's for Kaya Sands. It's for Cosmos City. In Jesus' name, amen.